You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We are now recording. You are on record. Here we go. Welcome to the latest episode of Soccer in the City, everyone. Tom Colker, Glenn Crooks, Roberto Bramowitz, John Rojas. Guys, packed episode MLS Cup is set. It will be Seattle at Columbus. We'll talk about the two conference final matchups and games and how that all went. We'll get into some NYCFC stadium news. Uh, we will talk about the state of MLS. Don Garber talking to America about the latest with MLS as we head into the 2021 season set to start in March, hopefully. And of course, uh, we'll review as we're taping this on a Tuesday morning, the USA roster as they get set to take on El Salvador. But guys, let's start with uh, the two conference final matchups. And let's begin with the most recent one, a wild game in Seattle. Seattle, a 3-2 win over Minnesota. Glenn, this was a matchup that saw Minnesota really dominate most of the match. I mean, they led 2-0 up until you know, the point where Seattle finally gets their first goal. Their best chance was really Jordan Morris off a post. Uh, but, you know, as our friend John Strong says, death taxes and Brian Schmetzer uh, in the playoffs. And once again, Seattle prevails. He brings in Will Bruin. A minute later, he scores. They get a goal in the 89th minute from Rui Diaz. And then, of course, the game winner from Svensson. Uh, the, the big thing that stands out, and you, you tweeted this out after the match, four of the five goals from set pieces. But you know, as much as Minnesota really was dominant in this game and it looked like they were going to go through, once again, you can never count Seattle out. And Seattle finds a way to pull through and now uh, in their MLS Cup uh, four out of the last five years looking for their third cup win. Yeah, I, I think the, the guy I'd like to focus on. Yeah, the set pieces were important. And the thing I tweeted out and I, I'm on I'm now on a uh, on the uh, you've got to have players on the post to bandwagon when you're defending your corner kicks. But uh, beyond that, Reynoso, who has uh, really been uh, such an important uh, figure for Minnesota, uh, young Argentinian uh helps uh, just guide the tempo of their attack. I thought he faded as the game progressed. And I thought one of the, one of the factors, and I don't know how you guys saw it or if there's something that was, that, that was shifted, but whether it was exhaustion, cause he's always on the ball. I mean, you could, he's always going to get the ball. And I just thought he was, his impact on the game diminished. And that's one of the reasons that Seattle, I think was, was able to, uh, to uh, gather in more of the ball and more of the play in addition to the, the substitutions. I mean, if you're going to, you know, credit Schmetzer along the way, I mean, you know, he made the substitutions, he made them at the proper time and they were all impactful. And that's how you win soccer matches uh, when you're down, you know, you, uh, you know, and I, I don't know what the pregame plan by Schmetzer and his staff were in terms of guys like Will Bruin coming into the game, uh, changing up the fullbacks, with guys who might be a little bit more attack oriented, but uh, you know, and you, and you didn't get much of a performance from Jovan Jones. I don't think who's a pretty uh, central figure in, in, in how they get forward. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, Schmetzer does deserve uh, a lot of credit 
and uh, a guy like Will Bruin. <laughs> what what's the stat? He easy is he the all time playoff goal scoring leader or something? Or he's got nine goals in playoff games. I I, I maybe that was active. I, I can't remember what that graphic was. Nonetheless, uh, he's a guy that uh, performs in the clutch, and his goal is what really uh, sent them on their way. And this look. This was a I, I thought it was an exciting game, guys, because I'm telling you, it was after midnight and I was still wide awake watching the game. I, I, I tend not to be wide awake after midnight. So that that uh, points towards the uh, how, you know, how, how pretty thrilling the match was and, and the way Seattle came back. Yeah, it's, it, to, to me, that was like an all time match uh, because of the way that it, the drama at the end uh, and how that game uh, t- turns out. Um, I thought see, Minnesota had done a really good job preventing Seattle from getting really good chances. I mean, obviously, Minnesota goes ahead on their two set pieces, and Reynoso with that free kick was fantastic, and then he gets another assist on uh, on the other free kick on the other goal by uh, DiBiase. But I mean, there's a couple of turning points in this game. I, I thought that there was a penalty that there should be a penalty kick awarded for Seattle. Uh, when, um, ah, why am I blanking on his name now? Hold on one second. I'm always doing this and blanking on name. Christian Roldan was fouled in the penalty area. He's trying to leave the penalty area and he winds up being, uh, fouled. I think it was John Gregus who fouled him or no chase Gaspar. I think it was that is, he's trying to leave the area and he's clearly taken down and they're looking at this at the play and they didn't call a penalty kick there. And I'm sort of surprised. And maybe you and John can explain to me uh, why that wasn't called a penalty kick, but I thought that it, that it should have been Toronto, Toronto, Seattle had to me the, the best of, of the game, but the discipline that Minnesota was able to show defensively and blocking shots and not allowing big chances to be created. I thought that that was, that was key. And then that wound up changing once uh, Brian Schmetzer was able to make the lineup changes that he wanted and they, they wound up uh, taking effect. But when you, when you start looking at total shots, 24 to seven chances created 17 to seven big, um, you know, um, where else can I look at things that are are key? Accurate passes, 428 for Seattle, only 225 uh, for Minnesota. Corner kicks is 10 to 5. Uh, you start looking at it, there's a, there's a pattern of dominance that Seattle had, and it just looked like for most of that game that Minnesota was going to find a way to win had they, the same way that they had found ways to win their previous games. And uh, but at the end of the day, Seattle was able to finally break them down and uh, and get the result that I thought was uh, really a deserved. um, That was a deserved result. And, you know, people don't talk enough about how good a coach Brian Schmetzer is. You know, it's a quiet, unassuming, non bombastic guy who just keeps on getting results and keeps on getting the best out of his players. And, uh, you know, to me, even though they're going into Columbus as the away team, it it makes them a really, really strong candidate to to win that game. Uh, um, You guys, you guys tell me, I mean, we we were talking about this before we preview the game. Right. And I feel like the course of the game was exactly what I was expecting. And in, in, in the situations that I was seeing 
how the teams were coming into this match. I said before, if Seattle Sounders plays in this, at the same level that they play against FC Dallas, they're going to have a big problem with Minnesota. And they're probably just going to lose that game. And that was what Seattle Sounders showed for at least half of the first half. The same kind of game, the same movement, slow movement of the ball. Yes, possession with not, you know, uh, actual um, threat to the opposition, uh, uh, nothing real. Now, Minnesota came out with a, one of the two scenarios that we expected. One will be sitting down and wait. The other one will be going, moving forward, using the talent that that roster has. And they showed that in the, in the previous game. They did that. And they actually got in front of the game, right? But yep. but if you if you sh- if you speak about the you know the qualities and you credit Brian Smetzer, you should throw under the bus. And the same amount of praise for Smetzer is the amount of garbage that you should talk about Adrian Heap. Wow. Because, okay. Because, yes. How do you really feel, John? Because no, I mean, I, I feel like I'm seeing what it is, and 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 as a player, you will be, you know, you feel doomed. I mean, we do everything we can. We had this game two nothing in our favor. Okay, we playing the last game and the first half of this game, the best football of the season, and the guy that is sitting out there is not giving us any tools to get better. You seeing the other team reacting. And I'm going to pull this. This is, this is very South American. It's, big, it's basically very Argentinian. And it comes actually from Maradona. Right? And, and you guys try to follow me. Uh, you have seen, of course, a turtle walking. Right? It's a very slow animal. Right? So, so, <laughs> so this, is the, this, this is the way it was, Glenn. The turtle is going away. Right? It's walking yeah. away. And Adrian Heat is seeing the turtle going away. And he looks at the turtle. He does nothing. The turtle keeps walking and the turtle goes away at the end. And he's sitting watching the turtle goes away. So no adjustments is what you're saying. Not at all. It's slower than a turtle. That's what it is. You know? And for a team that put everything into the game, that's a shame. I mean, what is, why is he there for? To help us. Not screaming. Not saying I play. Not saying I have history. Not saying, no, 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 no. Do something, my friend. Do something. I agree with Glenn that uh, at some point, especially the, the second half, Reynoso was like, you know, coming down on his level, uh, probably because of not having the ball, right? If Seattle has all the ball, he has not ball at all. He needs to play with the ball. Well, I just, I, he needs someone closer to, you know, another midfielder, you need a five on the back. You need to take him out at the 80. You have at the 80 minute and you're winning the best game of your life in this league. It's insane. You do not lose that game without fire on your seat, period. So there were, uh, he obviously didn't make many moves at all. I mean, Kai Kamara came in for uh, Finlay and, uh, and then, uh, you know, a, a, a sub in the fourth minute of stoppage time, which was, uh, you know, meaningless. But um, is, is that so you, also, wanted, uh, you wanted to see you wanted Asandi to see Thompson more in the 40th. 
Hassani well, that, that was an injury. That was an injury, right? Injury. But still, yeah. yeah, we're not gonna. That's not. No, a, still that's not. not a no, he's got five lineup changes. He only but, wound up using three. But John, but yeah, they were... it didn't look like there was a lot of tactical it's not only about changing. That. Exactly. It's not about that. It's not only about that. You see in Seattle, you all saw it. Yeah. Seattle came out of the second half, and five minutes in, you say they are gonna score. They are gonna score. They're gonna score. They're gonna score. They score. And yeah, know, but but Minnesota got the second goal before Seattle scored. So yeah, right. 67. Right. Right. And, and and that's the problem. I mean, you have the lead and you don't adjust to the game. You know, you see the opposition coming at you and you start playing. You keep playing with the ball on the back. You keep giving minutes corner kicks and fouls, crossing fouls. You're putting yourself on risk. You're playing with a bomb in your hands. At some point, it's going to explode. It did. It did explode on their hands. Well, I, look, this is a. Uh... And I love the way you look at a match, John, and, and evaluate it. And um, the simple thing that I looked at was, uh, with all that being said, the two, the tying goal and the winning goal were off of corner kicks, which to me is just, I, that's as dreadful as it gets. Because if you're because they were still laying out and blocking shot, they were still doing the things necessary to prevent Seattle from scoring in the run of play. So if that's going to be the case, you cannot concede off a set piece. Glenn, I understand the point because any coach will say, well, it wasn't in the run of play. It was a set piece. Right. But that's not an excuse anymore in today's football. 70% of the goals who scored in a World Cup came from set pieces. Yeah, right. No, no, I, I recognize that. So you I, know, I know what you're I, saying. I don't I don't want a coach hiding behind. I did everything I could. They weren't disciplined on the set piece. We lost the game. You can't do that anymore. I'm not offering that as an excuse for No, no, I understand Adrian the point. No, yeah, I know, saying, I know, I know. Yeah. I've just despite everything, um, what uh, other adjustments that could have been made to, to make it uh, more feasible for Minnesota to, uh, to make history here. Um, they, you know, just the simple task of defending the corners. And uh, I'm not going to get that much into it other than the fact that Seattle scored off of Dallas when Dallas failed to put anybody on the back post uh, defending the corner. And that's exactly where the game winning goal was scored by Svensson. You know, he redirected to the back post and, if you go on my go on my Twitter and if you haven't watched it closely, <laughs> the amount of space that is on the backside to, for for Svensson, Svensson could have he could have headed it anywhere within like a, a a six yard area and it still would have gone in. Not only for Svensson, for Raúl Ruiz in the first goal. Yeah. Same thing. Second post, the guy that kills every single team in this league, and he's alone. Well, that's yeah, you the, can't leave him alone on the far post like that. But here's the other thing, you know, we well, talk that's about marking and, right, and, 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 he, and he left his zone. DeBasi, that's his name, right? Yes. DeBasi? Yes. But he left his zone and you, know, we, uh, you can't do that. Right. We talk about in soccer a lot how difficult a two nothing lead is. And normally when you have a two nothing lead, it, whoever scores the next goal gets themselves a huge advantage because the team that allows it is now on their heels mentally. It's a, it, things change. Uh, the other team is encouraged and it becomes very, very difficult to defend that sort of lead. And I normally would say, especially in Seattle, that, Hey, especially when Minnesota is on the road and in Seattle, but you know, there's no crowd there or anything, but at the same time, they, that became a team that was absolutely on their heels. And he could have changed that. And to John's point, Adrian Heath could have changed that. 
and he didn't. Uh, he kept the team that he had on the field. Maybe he didn't trust his bench. But uh, it didn't seem like the type of adjustments that were, co were coming that were somehow or another going to impact the game. And then Seattle, you, you thought that the game was going to wind up going into overtime when uh, Ruidia scored in the 89th minute. And forget it, they resolved the game a minute later. I mean, that is just really an epic collapse by Minnesota at the end of, game, at the end of a game. And then we have to say it. I mean, Seattle Saunders was the favorite. They should win this game, okay? We expected them to win it in a different fashion. Yes, because they had the talent, the experience. They were the champions. They were at home. You know, all that, right? For me, if Seattle Sounders lose that game, it was really a hard lose to take, right? Yeah, it's an upset. It's a big upset. Totally. But, but Minnesota had a string of upsets coming up to that game as well, so. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, just you putting can it expect, in context, you you can mean you can you can expect Minnesota to give them a hard, really hard time, even a harder time that Dallas did. That's why I said at the beginning, if Sanders play the same way that they do against Dallas, they're gonna lose against Minnesota or have a really hard time. But when you are two nothing, not a half time, because a half time you can apply what you said, uh, Roberto. You 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 twist your plan, you go out, you score the first goal, and then all of a sudden you're in the game, right? But if you're winning two nothing at the 75 minutes. You mm -hmm. have 15 minutes to close it down. 15. If you cannot play 75, uh, 15 minutes on a 0-0 match, what kind of coach you are? What kind of team you have? 15 minutes to play a 0-0 match. Yeah. Yep. Seattle well, got it done. You get, you get a false sense of security when you go up 2-0 yeah. at that point of the game too, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that could come from the... Uh, The technical area as well as the players on the pitch. So, um, well, hey, nonetheless, uh, we, we probably this is uh, this might be the first public lashing of Adrian Heath. So we'll have to make sure that uh, he hears about it. Th this is shared. No, it's it's but it's you have not to, the first public lash. Do you not remember that he coached in Orlando? No, no, no. Uh, of after this game. Oh, well, I you mean, didn't after say that. Game. That's not what you said. Okay, I mean, so in I'm Orlando, it was now. like it was a daily. John, thing. John, and Tom <laughs> knew exactly what I meant, but I'm glad yeah. you specified so that. The, well, I just want well, uh, just clarity. Yeah. Someone is so Glenn. their opponent <laughs> will be the Columbus Crew. Let's talk about that match for a little bit here. That was uh, a very tight game between Columbus and New England. New England had come in, um, you know, with a couple upsets. They were one of the stronger teams in the playoffs, and Columbus prevails one nothing. Arturo, beautiful finish in the 59th minute. Not a ton of chances in this game, but Glenn Columbus, uh, Caleb Porter able to advance through, and they will host Seattle this Saturday at Monfrey um, in MLS Cup. Big win for the Crews. They advance on. They were look. They were one of the hottest teams, one of the maybe most surprising teams coming out of MLS Cup. Um, they had a, a couple dips during the you know this MLS regular season, but they got it together and, and they're in the final. I think there's no. Uh... There's no accident that the teams that have reached the uh, the pinnacle here, getting towards the end, final four, then the uh, then the MLS Cup, all have a exceptional number tens. And for Columbus, it's Zella Ryan, and you know Carlos Hill for New England. Uh, we talked about Reynoso for Minnesota, who who really was instrumental in that uh, how they play down the stretch, and. Uh, And who am I leaving out here? Oh, Ladero for uh, for Seattle. Seattle, you know, and they all have they all have a little, you know, tweaks to their qualities and, and what they do. 
But um, that I think, you know, I, Roberto will love this because we'll compare it to the NFL now or, or the, ooh, the, the sport ooh, of America. Wait, I woke up here. What's going on? Stop, John. John, get your head up. <laughs> but it's like uh, the teams that win in the NFL have, have a quality quarterback. Nobody has a, a, a shite quarterback and wins, you know, the Super Bowl. It just not anymore. Anyway, don't talk about. I don't know. Did Billy Kilmer win the Super Bowl? If he, yes, did, he did. Yeah. OK, well, and he wasn't shite either, by the way. Well, uh, whatever. So he wasn't. But it, but uh, so back to soccer, uh, you know, having that sort of um, the, the, uh, having a guy that can, can that can change the tempo of the game, that can technically do things to make the people around him or, uh, better. Uh, so I, I'm just going to start with that as far as the Columbus New England game is that, you know, when I watch Zeller Ion play, I, he I, he he might he's the, he might be the best player in the league. You know, I mean, he's he, to me, he's that good. And he's that instrumental uh, with Columbus. And it won't be shocking to me if uh, either he or Ladero uh, are the deciding factors in this uh, in this final. When you look at Columbus, I mean, they've they got some injuries, not not uh, a ton of key players, but some Derek Etienne uh, is out Eloy room, which is probably the uh, the biggest uh uh, missing player for Columbus, John Kempin, um, Vito War, uh, Warmgore is gone, and so is Waylon Francis are all hurt. So um, th- that might impact, but the biggest impact is as what you say, you know, the the number tens. But, but when you, it's more than just the the tens. Though. They, they they both such th- these teams have such good players that can define games. Well, let's not forget that Darlington Nagby is on Columbus and how good he really is, and uh, Jayasi Zardis and the impact that he's had since uh, he's moved over to Columbus. So, the, both teams are strong, well coached, well organized, uh, playing good soccer. Coming in, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun fun game. It's a, it's a really hard game to call as far as who's going to who's going to win because I think that they're very evenly matched and as I say they're they're coming in uh, even and Columbus you might say has a home field advantage although it's only going to be like fifteen hundred people in the stands. Uh, the last time Columbus hosted an MLS Cup, they lost. They lost to Portland. So um, you know. I don't know the importance that home field is really, really going to play in all of this, but uh, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to the game. I just hope that it's a really big, fun game like this one is, especially because it's going to be broadcast on Fox. And uh, the last time a game was broadcast on Fox was what Kansas City, Minnesota, and that got over 800,000 viewers on uh, Thursday night soccer, as it turned out to be, as I replaced the Cowboys and uh, and the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday night. So let's see what kind of a crowd on a Saturday night they get for the final. Hopefully, it's over a million. Two big difference between um, Nicole Oledo and Celerian. I think Celerian is getting to the level that Lodeiro is having, and I'm not taking only on the on the football side of things, on the managing ball and tempo of things, but on the work ethic of things. Nicole Oledo is a guy that you can see him running down, sliding tackle, defending all the way. And I clearly remember actually um, a question or an answer from him better uh, out of my question in the last MLS Cup. And he said, if I need to defend 90 minutes because it's good for the team, I'll do it. 
I know that I'm here to create, but if the team and the coach and the staff ask me to defend 90 minutes, I'll do it. That's what the yeah. team needs. I'll do it. And Boy, that's Nick. That's how Nick much Correa. do you love? How much do you love hearing that sort of thing from? Of course, from the number that, ten. That that would yeah exactly guy that doesn't really <laughs> uh, um, true, but I guess the the way I, I look at Zellerion is uh, he uh, he has he can make he can he can deliver a pass in more ways than I, I I've seen. That's where he's better than Ladero. You yeah. know, uh, right foot, left foot, I, it, you know, exactly. I just, you know, angles, Glenn, angles, because Celerajan is better with both feet, while Lodero yeah, is right. way better with his left. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's that's, left, that's left, amazing. left, left, yeah. Yeah, you, that's amazing. With Celerajan. You damn lefties, you damn lefties. Oh, totally. John but, Rojas. Yeah, of course. That, that's what we are. But hey, and there I might be a, a slight prejudice here, just saying. No, that, that, you don't call that prejudice. You, don't, you call that information. <laughs> you don't know what a lefty is. I do. Oh, all of a sudden, <laughs> John. Do you write left? Do you write left-handed? No. Also, no. Oh, okay. No. I, I always felt sorry for the kids in school that wrote left-handed yes. because they had that. The desk was never formed Different. for left-handers. And Why some, did, well, and some schools a, you don't have enough on those desks. That yeah. is right. But that's such an insult to people who write left-handed. I can't believe more more they have with social media now. Maybe they get on there and uh, make make sure that they're they're accommodated. But anyway, totally. Hey, I have a, a a bad news for Seattle Sounders. They won two MLS cups up to now, right? Mm-hmm. I've been in both finals. I won't be on this one. Oh my God! They may have to fly you out. <laughs> But they're there's, not going to be able to not, look for you in, no, uh, no in the Boston area. There's no time for that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a slightly longer flight from Boston to Columbus than the middle of uh, Columbia to, to Boston. The, the best part about this podcast is the, the birds chirping in the background. John is doing this outside. It is a home in Columbia and uh, very, you know, very. I, I love hearing the birds. John, they can just zoom you in pregame to give a speech. Maybe. And drinking drinking is mate. Don Garber did a nice thing yesterday in his MLS State of the League. Michael Lewis, who uh, we all know, uh, New York guy, uh, has covered the game for many, many years. In fact, he's attended every MLS Cup and will not this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, Garber uh, made sure to to mention that, and they're going to try to do something special for him. So that that was nice. Yeah, well, Michael has covered soccer for as long as I've been around the game. And uh, that's since like 1970. It it has. Yeah. I mean, professionally since 1977. And uh, Michael used to cover for the Daily News, covered for Newsday. Now he has his own uh, website called uh, Front Row Soccer. Uh, You know, great guy. Um, So, um, you know, it's sad to see the streak breaking. But, you know, there should be an asterisk. And uh, I, I think that if he's able to start going back to MLS Cup next year, I think that the streak should be allowed because the fact that this is a well, COVID year. And I think that should be an asterisk so on all of this. If you put an asterisk on Michael Lewis not being at the game, then you have to put an asterisk on the MLS Cup winner. Are you going to do that? Seriously? No, I'm okay. not doing that. They're going to be there. But no, I'm not. No, so, so, so let me ask you this. I mean, we do broadcast of the games and we do them remotely when they're on the road. You literally do them from that area where you're in right now. My basement, everyone. Well, you're not. You're. This is. Audio, so should so. I tell New York City FC that they shouldn't pay you because hey, you were you weren't there. But that, that you're that's as 
you wandered, you wandered from the point, you know, you're you're now in uh, Medellin, Colombia, you know, with your point there, you know, that I don't know what you're talking about. Rupert. Well, let's get Are you it. Let's trying to take credit away from Medellin. Now, are you trying to insult Medellin? I would be very <laughs> no, happy to be in Medellin. I'm well, not saying John's in Medellin. Where are you, John? What what city? Um, I'm on the outskirts of Medellin. Yeah, it's a little town called La Ceja. Well, it looks lovely in, in, in the mountains. It looks oh, so a lot it's, nicer it's than the eyebrow. It looks a lot nicer house. than Glenn's basement, but I love Glenn's basement. Well, they're going to do there. something's going to happen where Michael Lewis is going to be there virtually, and then you count it. You don't need All an right. asterisk, Roberto. That's he will be there. All right, All right. whatever. So Glenn did mention <laughs> Don Garber, Michael Lewis. Yeah, okay, enough, yeah. <laughs> enough. <laughs> we can't get those two minutes of our lives back. All right. Glenn, you did mention Don Garber. He did give his state of MLS. Uh, Roberto, I turn to you for the highlights. I think the the one of the key points coming out is, you know, with COVID and everything, just how much money the league lost. The number is pretty staggering. But why don't you take us through some of the you know highlights that came out of that press conference? Well, I didn't take full notes, but yeah, the the, the number that stands out is a billion. So uh, they said that they predicted a billion dollar loss and they said that they almost lost a billion. They were able to make some money in some of the uh, in MLS's back. But uh, also just to make sure that everything went smoothly this year in COVID. So they spent a lot of money that uh, they probably wouldn't have spent in a normal year. So uh, all travel was charter as opposed to commercial, which is probably the way the league should be anyway, but that's beside the point. They were supposed to increase charter flights. I believe was it a, from, um, from four that were allowed to eight mandatory. Is that the right number, guys? Yes. Right. If I yeah. remember that correctly. And one, and one leg counts as one of those eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so now all of a sudden they were doing everything charter. So uh, that, that, that was an expense. Um, they talked about how ratings were positive on television, which they, and especially in the playoffs, they've gone up. I already mentioned what happened with uh, Sporting KC in Minnesota getting over 800,000 on Fox. And that doesn't count the number, the number that's streaming or the number on Fox Deportes, I believe. So uh, the, the, that's well, what very, is the Fox I listen to? So I don't have their their effect. There was a point during that game. Uh, the most recent Fox. What was the most recent Fox game? Which, uh, did they Seattle. do the last two? Yeah, yeah, where, so. yeah, no, the Seattle game where somehow the effects were lost. I don't know what happened, but for a moment they were down and you could hear the goalkeepers. And and I'm telling you, there, it, there was like this two minutes of bliss when all that freaking loud BS, no one there sound, um, you know, completely annihilates the broadcast. Go on. And this is right. where you and I differ because I like it. But again, as I've told you. Go don't, online don't tell, don't. and listen to it online and me. you don't have any of Stop it. Stop telling me. So st you have Keep an going. option and you decide not to use it. That's your problem, not everybody else's. Well, if I had a chance to ask a question yesterday, that's what I would have asked Garber. No, anyway, I, ha no. I had a question, too, <laughs> but that was uh, I didn't get a chance. Either. I had one about MLS Reserve League. You know, I thought, uh, but I, they didn't yeah. get to me. Yep. I had one about uh, Hispanic um, PR and um, <laughs> you're gonna have to have a and, and you're gonna I think have to have lunch that with one and on they that said one, yeah. they said screw that i ain't we aren't uh whatever he's not asking a question um 
anyway, I so, thought, but I yeah. think the the I think the 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 key thing we not learned, but that was uh, emphasized again, is that MLS is starting in early and mid March. Yeah, and and the reason that's somewhat significant, I think it was the Athletic. They had talked to a, a number of um, sporting directors uh, of other clubs of clubs throughout the league. And um, some of them are a little miffed and don't quite understand why, what, what's the rush to start since it's been such an awkward uh, ending. And we're, and we're, and we're still in this stage of maybe not knowing exactly where we'll be. But anyway, I, so well, that wasn't significant, but it was reemphasizing. This is when we're starting gang. Well, know? I think that the, the part of the reason, part of the reason why they're starting that early is because of all the World Cup qualifying. And uh, I guess they're going to try to have some windows yeah. where they're not going to be playing because let's remember that this time through CONCACAF, they're not two game windows, but they're three game windows. A lot of I don't know if all of them, but a lot of them are going to be three game windows. And so people, Ugh. you know, players are Ugh. going to be gone for a week or, or even more. Let me go through some of the um, um, viewership numbers that uh, we've seen so far. Um, Orlando and New England on ABC had 421,000. And this doesn't count. Again, this is English language viewers. So it means that there's nothing on. They, they don't report the Deportes numbers. Columbus at Nashville, which is ESPN 203. That sort of sucks. Seattle at FC Dallas on FC 1321. That's a pretty decent number for uh, FS1. And Sporting KC versus Minnesota was 840,000. And if you compare it to the year previous, Seattle and Real Salt Lake on FS1 in 2019 was 169. New York City FC against Toronto. New York City FC, as you know, a ratings juggernaut, uh, 111,000 uh, for that one. Atlanta United against Philadelphia, 303. And LAFC against the Galaxy, 386. Uh, or rather 586,000. So the average is, is 2019, 292,250 versus 2020, which is 446,250. So here's the context. Context is every league and every sport outside of soccer right now has been hammered rating-wise. I mean, double-digit losses basically across the board. The NFL is close to double-digit losses. And so so for MLS to be able to not only maintain their ratings but even increase them, although they're very small ratings in comparison to the other sports, uh, but the fact that they've been able to maintain them and increase them is a good number. And if I can throw something else in for context, um what was it? Uh, Chivas America, the second leg of uh, their home and home, which was pl which was on Univision and to the uh, that got two point five million. So still the most significant Why, uh, uh, fan the base in the United States continues to be Mexican League soccer. What's the theory behind TV ratings going down during a pandemic when most people are, you know, they're look. Most people are not out and about as much as they have been previously. So you would think like I'm not I think it's great. MLS, the the the, uh, uh, the TV viewership increased during this. But how would it be any other way? I mean, what you know what I mean? I, and I so I don't understand how the other leagues have uh, plummeted like that. Why is that? Is there a theory behind that? Um, I mean, you're home. How, yeah. why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you tend right a lot of times you don't watch a sporting event sometimes you'll record it and come back and watch it later because you're out 
you know, it's a nice day, whatever it is. So right. I, I think um, I don't know how much further we want to take the point, but uh, I just think it's pretty interesting that uh, you would think TV viewership would be up for everything during a pandemic. Yeah, you would. But I guess with all the competition that you have between other shows and other networks, when you have Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and everything else, and everybody's well, releasing series like crazy now. Ah, that, that's um, what it is, then, John. It's Puerta Seven on Netflix. That's taking away all the viewership from the NFL. Puerta, Puerta Siete, sí. Yeah. <laughs> Puerta Siete. That's the name. Yeah. Oh, siete. I, well, siete. I, I use seven because I. I, I know. I understand. Because you're in yeah. Jersey. We know and, that. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, from the New York City perspective, um, I think, and from MLS perspective, it will. MLS fans in general, it'll be great to the, when we can actually go back to a stadium um, and enjoy a game as a fan, as a broadcaster. But uh, for New York City FC fans specifically, John, they may never, uh, not ever get it to a stadium, but it's not going to be anytime soon and it all might be over. It's still a parking lot. At the end of the day, New York City's not going to have a stadium because of a parking lot yeah, Tom, in the Bronx. Tommy, you allow me, uh, yeah. uh, right before we jump into, into that, I just want to mention two points that I took from uh, Don Garber's speech. Um, and that will be one MLS is going to take over Real Salt Lake and all yeah. the properties if they don't sell by the beginning of the year. And second, um, Orlando City is in talks because the Silva, the owner, wants to sell the team. So at right. the same time, as at the same time that the league is welcoming new um, owners and franchises, we have Austin coming. This is not a new owner anyways, but, you know, the, the team is coming back. Or, or coming in, uh, whatever you want to put it, uh, then there are other teams that are trying to sell. And I think it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a bad sign. It's actually a good sign because uh, the diversity of owners is making the league better. I think the people that are coming in with you know, new energy and money and all that is helping the investment on those teams. Good points. That I R agree, but you know, the RSL. thing with uh, Silva... And I, had, and I had to wait 20 minutes of Roberto to do that. No, I'm, I'm sorry that <laughs> I take so long sometimes. So what you guys I were around, I do, you guys were around more, so when uh, the last takeover by the league was Chivas, right? Chivas yes. USA? Yes, yes, but that was with the intention of closing it down. Okay. So right. when the league took over Chivas, everybody knew the league is taking over Chivas for a year to closing it down. All right. That's right, they bought, they bought it off. They they bought it off uh, Vergara exactly. and uh, Kue. Exactly. For that the is not because they correct. mismanaged it to, to death. Correct. But right now the league is not buying RSL and their properties. It's just taking it over while they finish the process of the selling them. And the, the, he said that he's committed to keeping uh, RSL in Salt Lake City. Right. So it's not like they're going to move it to Green Bay or anything like that. Yeah, please. Well, that's that's where New York City Stadium might end up being. <laughs> well, let's go back to that a bit. Okay. No, wait a minute. So, first, uh, so, first so parking is Salt always Lake an City. issue in New York City. Keeping RSL in Salt Lake City is okay. huge for me because of the Wasatch Mountains. I mean, it's a, it's a great place to hike. Well, let's okay, keep it ahead. in Sandy, at least. Yes. 
right, exactly, which is where, where, where it is. That's one of our, when we were traveling, that was one of our favorite spots. And I don't think that there's a stadium uh, that has the type of views that uh, Salt, that Real Salt Lake has uh, from that press box. Although the one in Philadelphia Philly. is pretty, yeah. pretty special as well. Well, they got prairie, and they got prairie dogs just like 100 yards away to the left, which uh, I discovered one day for a walk. Uh, I've never I never saw a prairie dog before. They do bark, but it's it's rather startling how they bark. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to New York City, we've always had a parking problem in New York City, and now it's even affecting uh, New York City <laughs> FC that. The Yankees back in 2009 had demanded as part of uh, their deal to build the new Yankees stadium that they have X amount of parking spaces, which turned out to be in excess of what they really needed. And the community was against building so many parking garages, yet the Yankees won. And so now this one, which is an absolute albatross, uh, has been losing money since day one. Uh, right now, it is falling apart. It is dilapidated. Uh, they've got uh, basically uh, Uber cars or black, uh, you know, black cars for hire that are sitting on the roof. But uh, it's losing money every single day. I believe that it was over 200 or somewhere in the vicinity that the owners of the garage owe over $250 million to the city. Um, with with everything going. And so the city is just basically trying to take it over somehow or trying to figure out a way. The Yankees are as well. And once they resolve this garage problem, then everything can can go forward. Although they still, New York City still has to go in front of the community boards and sell their vision of the stadium, the uh, thousand units of housing, uh, the parks, the retail uh, all of that, that's going to be part of the development of that area. It's going to be green space along the East River, which right now they don't have, or the Harlem River at that point. So uh, all of this to try to make that whole area better, aside from just building a uh, a soccer stadium, which will hold over 25,000 people. Well, in that article, the other thing that was... <laughs> Uh, you know, if it's accurate, you know, uh, city officials, local officials who are uh, integral in the discussions as to what New York City uh, Football Club has said that they need to, you know, have discussions with the community. So they're um, constructing and putting things in that support the community and they'll do that through discussions. Uh, there were a couple of people in that article that said they haven't heard, talked to anybody from any group you know, for like nine months. So uh, it, it's interesting that, you know, I, I suppose uh, why take the time when, you know, the project's not complete as far as signing off on the deal. But uh, so it's going to not only are you waiting for this garage thing, but then you're going to wait for the next stage. And and so it, it this article makes it seem like it's we're uh, we're pretty far distance off for an announcement. Well, right. But here's the thing. Even though there's been nothing done specifically at the community board level. Right. And that's part of politics. On the other hand, on the community level, New York City has been doing a lot in that area. 
And so they've got their community in the city. They've been building, you know, their their 50 soccer fields. And but they've been targeting a lot of things, different things to helping kids and doing other things in that area. So they're going to come in there as good citizens. And that's part of the part of the thing. And I mean, they're not doing it just as a strategy to build a stadium because they've been doing this all over the city, just in just in general, because they they want to give back. And 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 that's a good thing. Uh, So um, as long as there doesn't seem to be a lot of community opposition, but they were uh, to the project because it seems that everything that's going to be part of the project will actually wind up benefiting the area. But as politics go in New York City and pretty much the rest of the country, whatever uh, representative that hasn't been talked to and is on board with this, okay, is probably going to be fully against it because he wasn't on board or he wasn't talked to the right way or whatever, and he feels insulted. And so that's uh, what you worry about, that you're going to get somebody who feels disrespected one way or the other and then decides I'm going to be in full opposition to this and just be, you know, a burr in somebody's, sa- in somebody's saddle. But the, the way that everybody seems to feel the timeline is going is be- – have all this out of the way by 2022, begin construction in 2022 and open the stadium in 2025. I guess the only way to do this is um, Citigroup and the Yankees will have to dig that on their pockets, pay that debt to the city with some agreement, I guess, right? So they can keep moving forward with the project because it's Yankees debt, right? It's a problem created by the Yankees for the Yankees against the city. And if they have the, uh, the community uh, approval, the community support, which we agree that the team is doing a lot to get, you know, working with the community, then the only issue is that one. So, and, and there's no way that they just say, you know what, let's keep this, kicking this can down the road, fix this problem in the years and look for another space to do the stadium because right, it's not going right. to happen. But no, it's not the exactly. Yankees' property. So, I mean, the Yankees no, feel city by all of this. Well, it's it's leased by a private company. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a private company that owns that that owns that that space or leases that space. And you just I mean, at some point, maybe they wind up doing eminent yeah, but, domain and taking it away cre- from them. But that was created to favor the Yankees on the, yes, it was. On the new stadium. So the Yankees were, you know, the, the, the favorite part on that deal. They got that deal for them. And the city, you know, agreed to give them that. So they, in some way, if they're now looking for something that in some way is going to benefit them because there are partners with Citigroup for the soccer stadium, then, you know, you got to resolve it. Because otherwise, we'll be, let's start over this project somewhere else and it's not going to happen. No, but you know, you, you know, at the other end of the day, right? Steve Cohen is now the new owner of the Mets. Okay. So I don't know what his feeling is about having a stadium, a soccer stadium right next door to city field, which was remember one of the, one of the four options that New York city had. And I know that Queens, Queensboro that was, FC that wants to build a stadium down, there. 
years ago. That right. No, but that was because now. the the Wilpons who own the Mets ha- didn't want anything to do with uh, New York City FC. And then at the end of the day, you know, they wind up relenting and renting their stadium to them when New York City needed a stadium. So maybe some of that thought. But uh, now the Mets have a new owner in Steve Cohen. And so it'd be interesting to see what he would feel about doing a stadium for New York City FC in that area. Now, as I said, I know that Queensborough FC is negotiating in in that area as well, but I I don't know how that works out. But it would be interesting to to wind up revisiting because at some point you're also going to have to have a plan B. I mean, you can't put all your eggs in one basket and say, you know, it's either hell or high water. We're going to do this on 153rd Street. You know, at some point, they've got to have to start looking at someplace else realistically because this may never get resolved. There being five years of plan A, B, C and D. Yeah, but uh, they were really focused on plan A. Nope. I disagree. Plan A was um, Flushing Middle Park. That was plan A. But that wasn't theirs. That was the city's. I mean, that wasn't theirs. That was Major League Soccer. Yes, but that was plan A because the the league, when they got into agreement for the team, gave them the plan. Here's the plan for this team. Right, exactly. But that one was You start with this. So that was plan A. No, but I'm talking about since New York City itself took over the finding, finding themselves a stadium as opposed to what the league wanted to do. At the beginning, this is what what I'm talking about is specific to when New York City started developing their own plans, as opposed to having taken the plan from uh, Major League Soccer. Well, I'll tell you, did you guys see what the San Jose Earthquakes did with their turf? The turf, yeah. Yes. The uh, so to me, it's like so they have a new. They're building a new. It's a hybrid field. Hybrid. And uh, teams in Europe have been doing this for years now. Ninety-five percent grass, five percent artificial, and it just it just holds its uh, firmness for greater periods of time. It's it's brilliant, and I think uh, every club should consider it. Since uh, Tom, as you know, I, I I'm surprised you're on board with this uh, as much as you it's hate five, the idea of turf. I know, but even the five percent, I feel like would bother no, you. Five percent artificial, I can dig, and uh, I've seen some of the, the the play on these European pitches, and it's fine. It's fine. All right. yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, a match that will take place. We're recording this again on a Tuesday morning. Um, and let's talk about USA, El Salvador. Uh, John, this is a, a match, as we were talking about prior to starting the, the show. This features a lot of guys with dual possibilities. This is, roster is probably one um, that may favor more uh, of what the U.S. may look at as far as Olympic qualifying at some point. Um, MLS heavy roster. What are you looking for out of tonight's match? Before you go, John, you know, I think it's interesting. I think during the pandemic, many of us have, have lost our, the timetable and what day of the week it is. It is Wednesday morning, Tom. Oh, and, uh, well, whatever day it is. <laughs> Maybe in D.C. they haven't caught up yet. That's we haven't. <laughs> we are a day behind. All right, John, excuse me for interrupting. They're going to court to see if it is Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> That's There's right. the most, that- yes. Yeah. Supreme Court. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, what I think is that is really important to see this uh, the, to develop to see this project to uh, develop. I want to see these players to keep going on the, on, on on this uh, path it, because if you take into consideration the uh, U20s uh, roster that went to the World Cup, nineteen of those players have been collapsed to the absolute national team, 
And that's very important. That's a process, you know? Of course, every player is different. Every path is different. And they have to take advantage of those call-ups, right? But having them coming in, feeding the first team, the, the, the absolute team, is very important. That's what this team is doing. Um, there are, uh, what, around 15 players in camp right now that are eligible for the Olympics. And I think this is the focus. We had the, the roster for the previous FIFA day full of players that are in Europe, right? And you know from the get-go that you're going to have a hard trouble having guys from Barcelona, Dortmund, uh, Chelsea, uh, Juventus. To yeah, play for already, you. Berhalter's already said they're not going to be... Uh, Exactly. They're not playing in the Olympics. That's exactly. not happening. So yeah. what, do, what do you do? You get this guy, the sense of group. You get them all together. And in this kind of, 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 of friendlies, it is more important what you see and what you do during the week preview to it than in the game itself. Of course, you want to play well. You're going to have some, you know, set the tone, the ideas, the system. But what is really important for the group and for the coaching staff is what they've seen through the week, the preparation, the, where the team gels, how do you see the, the players react to each other and all the stuff. So it's very, very uh, intriguing. And it's intriguing to see what's going to happen with the, with, with the players that are not uh, committed yet to the full team. Okay, we have two players that uh, still, they need to uh, fill in and request a, a one-time switch to play for the national team, which will be Andres Perean and Frank Alvarez, but you still have Daryl Dyke, Ayo Aquinola, Julian Araujo, uh, Frankie Amaya, which is not in camp, David Ochoa, which is not in camp, uh, Sebastian Soto. Um, we could keep going. I mean, um, who else? That those, those players had the chance to play for another Marco Farfan. Marco, yeah, Marco Farfán is right. another one. Exactly, exactly. Marco I Farfán, believe Mauricio Pineda. Mauricio Pineda, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, those players, half of them, or some of them had uh, work and played through the system, right? They, they use youth national team, but some not. And it's important to see how you gel, gel those guys and convince them to stay, or not convince them, but show them that it's a good decision for them to stay. With the with the U.S. men national team, isn't the best? I I like Berhalter's approach. Now we understand we're not there, but you know he basically says he doesn't he doesn't do the uh, you know the recruiting pitch. He just says he come in and here's how I train the team, and uh, you need to determine whether you like the way we you train and that you'll develop as a player under me. You know, so he just he just does his thing with these players. Yeah, I like, I like that's, his words. That's, that, that's the best way to go about it. You know, right. all this. I like his words. Like, yeah. we showing them what are we about, what is our intention, how they can play and train and grow with us. And then it's their decision. It's not yeah. like we're going to be, you know, calling and, and, and pushing and convincing and pitching. And no, 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 no. That's why all these, all these clubs across our country, uh, youth clubs that poach players, you know, shame on them. The way you earn the way you earn the uh, the respect, you just do do your thing, do it in the right way and families will come to you. And it's to me, it's it's, it's very similar. It's a very similar thing I hear from him. And, and that's the way it should be. You know, you, I, I, you know, I think it's two ways, Glenn. 
I mean, you go back to the Jonathan Gonzalez things where nobody contacted. You got to contact people. Yes. And whether that was, you know, that's that's in the past. So let's let's forget that for now. Um, But but it's a it's a lesson to be learned. It's in the past. But if you ignore the past, you're going to wind up repeating it. And uh, U.S. soccer absolutely wound up blowing that. Yeah, I mean, not you that he's an extraordinary player, but I think, look, he's getting he's having a hard time fitting in with Monterey right now. He can't even get uh, games going over there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's not like we you know, it's not like they lost, uh, Chris, you know, Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna, which, you know, they could have, mind you. No, but, but the simple uh, thing is, yeah. it was communication there. You know, there was a lack of communication. So that yeah. it sounds like Burhalter, He's on he's on the you know, he's on the horn with these guys or zooms or whatever. So he. I just think the blend of how he stays in touch with them and what he's presenting to them. And then it's like, this is what we got. It's up to you. You know, right. and and I so- think, yeah, I think the policy should be the way we see in it today. Again, Glenn, like, like you said, we're not there. We're not seeing the daily basis of the jobs. But I think the policy should be the way we see in it right now that is happening, which is open doors and not yeah. chasing players. You don't right. chase them. You open exactly. the doors and show them. Of exactly. course, that means communication and all that stuff, having right. them involved exactly. at some point. Good way to put one, it. Exactly. Yeah. One thing is having the open door. The other thing is chasing them. You don't chase those players because they have to be there because they want it, not because you get on their ears. Exactly. So tired of you that they say yes. <laughs> yeah. And so that the surprises in camp or really is, is the fact that if Rain Alvarez is even there because the way it had gone, it just seemed like he was totally committed to Mexico. And the fact that he's... Didn't we go over this? Yeah, we John went over it last it. week. But I mean, it's still sort of a surprise. And I'm just happy to see it. And if he goes to Mexico at the end of the day and uh, decides to stay with uh, Mexico, fine. But the fact that he, that he was open to returning to U.S. soccer because he grew up within U.S. soccer until he had a fight with one of his coaches, I think when he was like 15. So um, he's, uh, what do you call it? The fact that he's open to training and to seeing all of this, it just, it speaks volumes of the change in U.S. soccer. And uh, we'll see what winds up happening. And the fact that Perea accepted a, a call up to train because he, he's not eligible to play either because he's uh, with Colombia. I mean, that, that speaks volume as well. And one late addition to the team was Sebastian Soto because in his team in in the Netherlands, which is Telstar, he got red carded, so he wasn't eligible to play this weekend. So uh, they allowed him to come over and uh, be with the national team. So that's ah, good. So I wonder, I, that, I wonder if Bolharta set that one up. You know, I wish we could go. <laughs> I, could, I wish we could get in a time machine and go back to a Glenn Crooks pitch to a, a potential Rutgers Look, athlete and be you in know the, what be I the would, living room. You know what I wouldn't do, and I will tell you, my assistants sometimes are like, uh, uh, you know. We're getting out recruited by blah, 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 because they're sending this player a handwritten note every day. Well, you know what? I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. Nick Saban's not doing that. Huh? I said Nick Saban's not doing that. Well, uh, he's got luxuries that most uh, that others can't afford. What was your point? My point is, is that, you know, the athletes and families in my business as a college recruiter that need to be loved to that extent. I do not want them in my program. That that's the way I feel about it. I want people in my program that have a passion for the sport. You, you definitely show them how you operate. Uh, you definitely, you know, stay in communication with them. Try to develop a relationship because, you know, how you interact with players and families is important, but not 
not the not this constant, um, but some some programs did that. Some programs got those players, and I just wasn't going to do it. And yeah, that's that why I, I applaud the way Burholder is going about it. If indeed that's, you know, the totally. Yeah, that idea that you have to be chasing players and almost begging them to stay with your program because you need them and they're good and they have dual nationality and they can go to your rival. That's a nonsense. All right. Uh, you again, you show them what you're about and they have to take the decision on their own because they feel is right for them. Look, there's yeah. many examples. There's many examples. We talk about Jonathan Gonzalez. He's nowhere for the national team in Mexico right now, neither. Right? right. Yeah. We right. were talking about Sebastian Soto, right? He was being called by the Chilean Federation, all right? And they put the, co the national team, the full national team, Reynaldo Rueda, to call him, trying to convince him to play for Chile. Imagine that the guy say, yes, Reynaldo Rueda is about to go out of Chile right now. Right. So a month after the guy say yes, the coach is going out. What is he going to do if they don't call him back? If he right. the switch, you know, that's why the decision has to come from them, from them, from the, you don't need the heart. I mean, I don't need, I rather want a guy who plays like Nicolas Lovero in the sense of the work ethic, right? 90 minutes all the way than a guy that sings the anthem and play like a diva. Right. But the, the part of the problem, okay, that U.S. soccer seems to have been able to resolve in a way is that there was a perception, okay, that maybe some players weren't as welcome as others, right? And I think that that, that has, uh, seems to have shifted. And it's gone back and forth, you know, al al along the way. It has gone back and forth. But um, it, it's good to see what uh what what's happening now and that and the players that are coming in and uh you know and these players will wind up making the decision that best suits them and uh best of best of luck with it but it's good to see that this level of player that you know that they have a choice they have a chance and that Burholter is saying hey this is the way we're doing things and I, I i appreciate that approach i was probably more leaning forward or leaning more towards being more proactive to trying to get some of these uh players that to feel the love per se but uh i see what glenn is saying i see what everybody's saying and uh i i lean towards that yeah and then open, the next stage doors. the next stage of this is what happens at the, the, the youth levels. And this is the, the long-term aspect is finding and welcoming those players that come from communities that uh, can't afford the sport. And how do we get them involved? And, you know, this is a constant chatter uh, in the terms of development uh, across the land. But that's, uh, that's to me, a, a next step uh, in making certain that, uh, you know, the United States national team is uh, can right. compete at the highest level, you know, and but historically, I was just saying one, one quick thing. Historically, U.S. soccer has done a very, very poor job of recruiting in areas that are considered to be, quote unquote, ethnic. They've really done a poor job. Now, you know, it's not only up to them. Now you have Major League Soccer and you have USL, right? And so now a lot more of these areas are being scouted and coming into the system. And that eventually will wind up uh, covering for that. But what, before MLS was doing as well as they are with your academies and the same thing for a lot of the USL teams, right? Um, there was always an issue with recruiting in minority areas. And that's why the team wound up looking the way it did for for the most part and that was more of an economic thing than anything else 
Yeah, and I guess that that, that open doors policy that we were talking about uh, has to go both ways. I mean, you guys were mentioning, Glenn were mentioning the youth system, right? The youth players. Uh, the same way that you can find smart players, actually, you have to say it, smart players like Perea, for example, who play for Colombia and came to the U.S. national camp right now, which is a really good decision. What is going to hurt, right? right. He, he has no commitment. He's not being on the, on the absolute team in Colombia. I'm not going to commit because I'm going to camp. So let's go check. Let's go talk. Let's go see what happens, right? Yeah. The same way has to go through the national, to the, to the youth system. If you have guys that are on your youth system and they want to go and see another camp, right? Because they're dual nationals. They're not committing, but they're training there. You should not erase. You should not take those players down on your list. Right, you should have punished them going, for that. Exactly, because they're going to see what happens, right? Is yeah. there, you, you should be supporting them. Yeah. Go, take a look. You know what we are. You know, you know how we want things here. And it's on you. We support you. Go, train. Go see it. And then, yeah. then we talk. No, that's the... Uh, that's and the, also, one thing that I want to player add. ownership issue, you know. It's yeah. like, uh, well, this well, is my player. Thing. And there's too much of that crap. And uh, ego gets so involved in youth soccer, I'm sure in all youth sports, but, uh, you know, this is the one I'm, I look at every and, day. And something that's important to mention as well, I mean, for, for some of the listeners that may not be very familiar with some of these players, okay? Perea is from Colombian parents, but he was born in Tampa. He's in America, you know, he was born yeah. in America. And Alvarez is from Mexican parents, and he was born in L.A. So it's not like these are, like, players that we that the yeah. u.s has recruited from other countries because their grandparents or something like that have an american passport right and yeah. I, I think that gets into a they different even, discussion mind you right they're not even naturalized citizens no, they they're, are they're, born citizens right, they're born them. here yeah 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 exactly and, and and i think that that you know it's an important point to make yeah so john so enzo rojas isn't committing one way or the other yet uh, i think his heart is committed USA all the way, baby. Yeah, he is. He's training right now in Colombia. He's training right now in Colombia. With his his U.S. national jersey on. Listen, listen. This is just a little story. His grandpa and my dad came for the weekend. We are secluded in in a country house and only people who had tests come in for a couple of days. We had like a little bubble here. So he came for the weekend and we played soccer together. And my dad came out to play with uh, with a local team jersey, Atletico Nacional, <laughs> right? And and Lorenzo came out with the U.S. men national team jersey. <laughs> and then my dad said, like, where where is your jersey? Where's the national jersey? He said, I'm American. <laughs> there you go. There. That's what Burhalter wants to hear from these guys. I'm an American. That's awesome. All right. Uh, meanwhile, we're 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 shopping Eddie to any country that might take him. Okay. Anyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right i look forward to seeing eddie on the albanian roster right. well it'll we'll be fine all right let's bring this one to a close let's go around the room guys uh tell us where they can people or fans can follow you and give us your pick for mls cup roberto Ooh, uh you got to start with me on this one huh all right uh my pick for mls cup it's going to be a tough game, obviously, and uh, I think Seattle's going to find a way to pull it out. 
I just think that they're the better team, and I think Columbus uh, in this game will wind up missing will wind up messing Eloy room if he's not back. So I think that uh, I will go with uh, I will go with the Sounders. Uh, you can that game by the way on Big Fox Channel Five here in New York. So uh, uh, hopefully everybody uh, watches and they get a nice big rating and get some good news for MLS and soccer. Also, don't forget if we can get this podcast out today, which is Wednesday, Tom. Um, fake news, whatever. I just thought you should know this. Uh, the U.S. game against El Salvador is at 730. Uh, in English, the game is going to be on ESPN News. Go find that on your cable system uh, on Unimas and uh, start looking now. Uh, Unimas and TUDN in Spanish. El, Supreme Court. <laughs> El Salvador, I just want to just just to let you know, is only played once this year. Uh, they played Iceland in Iceland, I guess, uh, and they lost one to nothing in Iceland. Before that, they were playing the CONCACAF Nations League, and these are their results in uh, their six match days. Okay? They qualify for the next round. Yes, so they beat uh, Santa Lucia in their first game 3-zip, lost to the Dominican Republic one nothing in uh, Santo Domingo, uh, beat Montserrat 2 to nothing, uh, beat Santa Lucia 2 nothing, and then beat Montserrat 1 nothing, and, and then at home beat the Dominican Republic 2 nothing. Not exactly world beaters, uh, the teams that they've played, and they've got um, a couple of more. Uh, they, they start their World Cup qualifiers in March against Granada, Montserrat, U.S. Virgin Islands and Antigua and Barbuda. So uh, not exactly the strongest team the U.S. will face uh, coming up as they get ready for World Cup qualifiers. That's the um, matter. When, yeah. you, when you play friendlies out of the FIFA window, you play whatever it is. Around. Yeah, no, know exactly. What you, know what you want, what you have. Yes. So um, as far as what I'm doing, I've got the Jets on radio this week. The Jets will be playing in Seattle. No Williams as they got fired as he got fired on uh, Monday for his unprecedented decision to send a full out blitz on a play where he should have had everybody back in the end zone. But uh, so he's gone. And uh, that game, you can be it will be heard on on uh, 92.7 FM. In New York City at four o'clock with Clemson Smith Muniz, and it also on the Jets app. So you'll be able to hear that, and that's in Spanish. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Abramowitz. You can follow me on Facebook at Roberto Abramowitz Oficial. And again, I'm now on Instagram at Roberto Abramowitz. Did I miss anything, guys? I don't think so, but just in case. Yippee, especially the Instagram uh, announcement. Thank you. Um, kitties, my yeah. kitties. You get yeah. to see a lot of my kitties. Yeah. I don't I don't tend to I don't tend to tweet anything about coaches because it's a tough profession. But I nearly put out uh, I've been a Jet fan since 1965. So I nearly put out they should not let Greg Williams into the facility today. But uh, I, I didn't put it out there and then he got fired anyway. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, the uh, not, only is, not only is MLS Cup on Fox uh, to view, but it's also uh, at Sirius XM FC channel 157. If for some reason you can't watch the game, you can listen to it on Sirius XM. And in Spanish, it's on today in a radio, which I think in here is going to be on Wado. So uh, it is on radio in Spanish as well. Okay. And then uh, uh, my show, the Coaching Academy Series XMFC this week. I've got a guy uh, really, you guys should tune into this because I think it's pretty interesting. The Coach's Guide to Teaching, a guy named Doug Lemoff, who is, uh, 
he's a he's pretty much a, a superstar in the education section, and he actually does uh, uh, instruction courses for the pro license, the director's courses through U.S. Soccer, and uh, he's he's an interesting fellow. And I put something out on my uh, Twitter at Glenn Crooks. Uh, he uh, talked to Jesse Marsh extensively about his chapter on building team culture. So look at that. I run a little clip. And that airs Wednesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 4 p.m., all Eastern time. And um, we, I, I can't believe we didn't mention New York City acquired a third-string goalkeeper on loan from Indy 11. We didn't even mention Evan Why? Newton with the uh, departure of Brad Stuver. Uh, and that's that. And that's, next week. That's, next just week. A that, that's just a body. Yeah, we talk about it next week because yeah. it's just a body for the Conquer Champions. Process. Yeah, it's just for the CCL and um, in case something happens to uh, – Luis or uh, Sean Johnson. Okay. All right. That That's it sense. for me. Are you ready, Glenn, for uh, the special one in January? Ah. ah. I, you know, and I'm trying to worm my way into a pre-interview, but uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Jose you, Mourinho. You, you need me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my boss is working on trying to get him, uh, get him early to do just like a little promo, but we'll see. And I'm a Spurs fan. I'm not even trying to worm into that. Fine. Listen, Jose Mourinho, he can't. I saw him operate at Rutgers University during one of those summer tours that they do. And he he trained there for a week with Chelsea when he was with Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah. And I still use three or four of the things that I observed. That's why I want to tell him, you know, in my, in my training of my teams. It's uh, some good stuff. Yep. All what right. So, Tom, people can follow me on J Rojas 875 and. That is on Twitter. We can get out of here. <laughs> All right. I'm T. Colker. Some of us have to work today. Uh, for Glenn Roberto and John, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Soccer in the City. Recording.